Well, good morning, Renovation. Man, it is so good to uh, be with all of you, although I can't see you very well anymore. But I do see a couple Vikings jerseys, so maybe that's one reason why uh, the, the room is so full. No, it's, uh, it's because of Jesus, right? Um, but I, like, uh, like Pastor David said, my name is Justin uh, Jepson, and uh, I actually first met Pastor David um, uh, almost 10 years ago, right after Renovation was planted. I was connected with a couple church planning groups and just was a, an acquaintance until recently uh, we reconnected over a pizza buffet uh, just down the road, Broadway Pizza. I don't know if that's where his spot is, but that's where he suggested we should meet. And uh, even after meeting over pizza, just feeling a sense of God's presence um, in the midst of our conversation and just sharing about uh, what God's doing here. As he's telling me, you guys just celebrated your 10-year anniversary as a church. I mean, that, that is awesome. We could just say thank you, Jesus, for that and for his faithfulness. Um, and I'm all the more uh, honored and excited to be able to uh, just come alongside of what God is doing here and to be able to share from the Word um, this morning and to be able to tie into the current series um, that you guys are going through. Um, but just a little bit uh, about me too. I, I've, I've spent a number of years in pastoral ministry and most recently um, serve as the Director of Spiritual Formation at University of Northwestern in St. Paul, which is my alma mater. So like a lot of people there, um, I've boomeranged back and now I'm on staff and get to teach there on the side. And uh, my wife and I attend uh, an actual newer church plant, Vertical Church St. Paul, in St. Paul. So it's fun to get to take a step away from there and to be able to join uh, God's family here. And uh, just, I feel like it's a good time to introducing yourself. Just a little bit about me, my family, um, whom I love and treasure, and they're not with me here this morning, but I wanted us to show a picture. Um, There's myself, uh, our our two-year-old son, Bennett, and my wife, Maddie. Um, And, I mean, how how many people have toddlers in the room? Okay, so you know life can get hard in a different way, right, when you have a toddler, um, but, but in some beautiful, glorious ways. What you can't tell in this picture probably because of where it's cropped off, my wife's actually pregnant with our daughter in this photo. That was taken last May, and we uh, had a new uh, baby girl join our lives this past June 15. So she's four months old, and here's a picture of the two of them uh, together, and uh, you, you can notice that Bennett has a little piece of chocolate on his face, so that's, that's kind of typical, and... Um, First time that he met her in the hospital, he, he gave her a kiss on the forehead and then poked her in the eye. So I, he's kind of like, hey, I love you, welcome, but know your place. So, and, uh, but there was one of the brief moments we had where they were um, nice toward one another. So um, no, I want to invite you this morning um, as we continue in this series when life is hard to open up to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. And whether you're finding it in your app or in the Bible underneath your chair or whatever your personal copy of the scriptures. And uh, I believe Psalm 27, uh, amongst many other things, is a life-altering, trajectory-setting chapter in the Old Testament. And uh, as you turn there, I, I love what uh, one author said about this amazing chapter in scripture. This, this, this author wrote this, that Psalm 27 is one of those many places in scripture that bring us priceless clarity about our lives. The psalm is like an old friend who firmly places his hands on your shoulders, looks you in the eye, and reminds us about what really matters. Life slows down, noise grows faint, the distractions are drowned out by what we most need to know. Look, your friend says, with love in his or her eyes, this is truth. This is your one desire. This is truth your hope. 
And so uh, as we uh, read together from um, this ancient inspired song, um, I just want to invite you, would you just place a firm grip on the shoulder of the person next to you, look them in the eye and say, this is what matters most. Could you do that? This is what matters most. And let's read together uh, Psalm 27. And uh, I just want us to hear from, from, from the Word, straight from the Word this morning, and then so you get a sense of where we're going to be heading, where we're going. I just want to read verses 1 through 8. It says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. And then my head shall be exalted above my enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and seek me and answer me. My heart says to you, seek my face, your face, Lord, I seek. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that in these next moments, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would arrest our affections, that you would captivate our attention, and that you would reset the trajectory of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to just present a key question this morning um, as we get into this text. And, And the key question is this. What is one new thing God is inviting you to do this fall, this season of time, to make Jesus the one thing that you pursue above all else? What is one new thing God is inviting you to do this fall, this season of time, to make Jesus the one thing that you pursue above all else? Because here's the big idea of where we're heading and here's what I want to spend the rest of our time unpacking, is that our pursuit of God gives us confidence and courage in the face of life's challenges. Our pursuit of God gives us confidence and courage in the face of life's challenges. And a well-known quote by a well-known author, well-read author, C.S. Lewis, once said this, we can ignore our pleasures, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I want to just tell you briefly, about a decade and a half ago, God used the megaphone of pain to shout into my soul the life trajectory truth that is found in this text. And it happened at the most unexpected time for me. I was uh, a a junior in college, and I was driving um, on my way to a physical therapy appointment out on Highway 94, way out east of here, towards Woodbury. This is where I live now. Um, And I was stuck in traffic. And, you know, beautiful thing, right? Minnesota has two seasons, winter and traffic, right? So I was in, I was like in the full thralls of that season. 
And, uh, and the reason why I was heading to a physical therapy appointment is because uh, I had recently been diagnosed with a herniated disc in my lower back. And uh, I, I, like I mentioned earlier, I went to Northwestern as a, as, a, as a college student. I attempted to play football there. I played at least enough to get this injury. Um, and I had been suffering from chronic pain for about six months. And um, I was, like I said, stuck in traffic. It was a hot July day. Um, and I had this old rust bucket of a car that I like. It's the 4x40 wind, uh, uh, air conditioning unit. So you have to have four windows down, go 40 miles per hour in order to get some breeze. But since I was stuck in traffic, I couldn't do that. So I was hot. I was sweaty. I was in pain. I was exhausted. My gas tank was on empty. And uh, I was driving a manual, and, which is fun, right? Except you're in traffic because it's clutch in, clutch out, clutch in, clutch out. And every single time I'd push the clutch in, shooting pain would just lightning, like a lightning bolt go down my leg. And I was so frustrated. For me, I felt like I was at this moment of pain and, and, and difficulty that I was just so sick of it. Nothing was working. I literally wanted just to stop the car and get out and walk. I don't know where I was going to go, what I was going to do, but I was like, Lord, I'm done. But something said, open the glove compartment. Open the glove compartment and out pops this little CD that says one thing on it. And a friend of mine had recently given to me. So I had, you know, an old CD player, you know, actually put CDs in the cars, right? And I wouldn't do that much now, but I shoved it in there. And all of a sudden, uh, it's, it's this message on Psalm 27. And first, it was more harmful than it was helpful because it was like this, this preacher just like came in, guns a-blazing, super passionate, shouting and talking about pursuing God and going after the Lord and one thing, blah, blah, blah. And I was so frustrated. I literally wanted to punch the radio. And I'm like, this isn't working. But for some reason, I kept listening. And uh, moments into this message, something began to shift in my soul. And I can't explain it in any other way other than that God's tangible presence converged and met me in the moment of one of the deepest points of pain in my life that I'd had up until that moment. And, 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 I, and I realized in that moment that in my life, Jesus wasn't, just, wasn't the one thing of my life. He was just one of the things of my life. And God used that moment, that season of pain to alter my perspective and to allow me to catch a passion for a pursuit of God alone that is messy and that I fall and fail all the time. But the Lord used that moment to have a shift in my life. And what's so powerful about this psalm is that this is very similar to what it was like in David's uh, point, from David's point of view. Um, and that this psalm was written out of the backdrop of a great season of difficulty. But before we zoom into that context, just briefly, uh, I, I want to I zoom out. Um, see, I love, the, I love the book of Psalms. It's been a favorite book for Christians for um, as long as it's been written. Um, and, and I love it because it's, it's basically a book of songs, right? It's God's top 150 list. You couldn't keep it to 10 or keep it to 40. There's 150 here. But what it is, it's actually a masterfully composed anthology of ancient Israel songs, and it covers over a millennium of history. And, uh, and there's this beautiful, complex variety of poetic, poetic genres. So there's hymns of joy, lament, thanksgiving, psalms of confidence, remembrance, wisdom, kingship psalms. And one of the things that I, I love about this is that the psalms don't just seem to have any kind of um, uh, logical order. They kind of jumps around from one genre to the next. And I love this because I think it's intentionally organized that way because psalms depict the reality of the dynamic unpredictability of life. So just as life may flow from a joyous occasion to one moment into a sorrowful moment the next, psalms meet us with a sincere and honest 
relevancy no matter what circumstance we may find ourselves in. And so this Psalms, the book of Psalms, could really be likened to God's album of redemption. It's told through the centuries of the life of Israel. To state it another way, the Psalms are God's soundtrack of salvation history. And in the same way that maybe you and I could point back to a specific song and during a period of time that helps us remember and refresh our perspective, ancient Israel had a song uh, for every single moment and situation that they would face. But because it's in the Word of God, and even though the Psalms weren't written to us, they were actually were written for us, and these songs are also for us, that we have a divinely inspired song for every season of our lives. And let me tell you that God has had the divinely inspired song of Psalm 27 on repeat in my life for the last decade and a half, and it has not gotten old. And so zooming in, as we zoom out, we've looked at this context, so zooming in, um, Psalm 27 at its core is about exemplifying an exaltation of the pursuit of God above all else. It's about how we can have confidence and courage in the face of life's challenges. But what, as I mentioned earlier, what makes this reality so powerful is that it emerges from a season of great difficulty, darkness, and trouble in the life of David. And at the heartbeat of Psalm 27 is verse 4, where David declares one thing. One thing have I asked of the Lord. And then you realize this is a truly an amazing claim when we see it in light of its context. You see, nothing from the title of the psalm can be drawn from what circumstance David was writing the psalm in. But we can discern from the matter, the content of the psalm, that David was being pursued by enemies in verses 2 and 3. He was shut out of the house, the public house of worship of the Lord, verse 4. He was likely parting from his father and mother, we see later on in verse 10. He was subject to slander, gossip, and false witness. And, and, and we can also know from the content of this psalm that David had been anointed king, that we know that honor and power and wealth and popularity and influence were coming to him. But yet, for David, while his very life and future were being threatened, and this was a period of great difficulty and darkness, it was out of this dire situation that the cry for one thing emerges out of his heart. And we find that the apex of this psalm is verse 4. And I want to show it again this way. This slide comes up. That David succinctly declares, he says, One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And so what I want to do is I want to highlight for a few moments this ask and seek of this idea of, of what David is getting at and use the rest of the psalm to fill in this structure that this verse gives us. But I mean, let's, a little bit of the call and response. What's the first two words of verse, verse 4? One thing, right? One thing. And I think this is amazing because on one hand, uh, uh, David's life is being pursued by enemies. He has been rejected by his own family. On the other hand, he holds the promise of future wealth, influence, and power, and the status as the next king of a nation. Yet the cry of his heart is not for comfort. It's not the destruction of his enemies. It's not for the Lord to quicken his path to kingship. All of David's affections and desires are bound up in this one thing. And it leads me to this question, um, What's the one thing that we ask of the Lord? What's the one thing that we desire more than anything else when life gets hard? Because I can tell you for me, a decade and a half ago, it wasn't the Lord. Um, I wanted God to take away my pain. I wanted God to heal me. I wanted God to give me success on the football field. I wanted God to, uh, you know, do all these number of things. But David says there's one thing. There's one thing that he can be confident in, that there's a tried and true path that has been paved to the God's throne of grace, that he knows that if he goes after this one thing, he knows what the result's going to be. But notice that David hears this one thing that he's asking and he's seeking. So here we find desire and action working together towards a singular 
pursuit. And genuine desire is going to lead to authentic action. For genuine desire is humble, which depends on God as you pursue him. David's holy desire led him to this resolute action. And I love the words of Charles Spurgeon in his commentary on the Psalms. The treasury of David says this, Divided aims tend to distraction, weakness, and disappointment. But the person of one pursuit is successful. And little did I know that over a decade and a half ago, the Lord would reset the trajectory of my life by this truth, Psalm 27, 4, where my grouchy attitude was invaded by his grace, my irritable self-focus was transformed into an intimate God focus, and my circumstances in that moment, and even my pain, did not change for a very long time. But since that moment, my character has been changing. And so I want to look at the, the rest of this verse and there's, there's these three chords that I believe, there's three parts that, we, uh, that, that, are, that are key on this word dwell, gaze, and inquire. Are like three chords woven together towards becoming a people of one thing. Having a single-minded pursuit and how our pursuit of God gives us confidence and courage in the face of life's challenges. So the first chord is this. The first facet of becoming a people of one thing is this. is to pursue his presence. To pursue his presence. David said it this way, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And I love this word dwell here in the Hebrew means to abide, to settle, to endure, to inhabit, to sit down, to be still. David is desiring and pursuing to dwell where? He says to dwell in the house of the Lord. This is speaking of the tabernacle. In David's day, the, in the Old Testament, that God, the place that he'd set up to be the consistent meeting place between he and his people. But, but David is saying that he continually longs to be in the presence of God. That this is something that he longs to be in the public setting of, of, of worship with God's people. This term, house of the Lord, also has synonyms in Scripture and in this chapter of temple or tent. But I love how personal of a term this is because this because this shows that God desires to be with us more than we desire to be with him. He's the one who sets up and initiates a place for us to be together. That these, these, these verses focus on the public worship. They view an unhindered access to God's presence and worship as the best of all gifts. This is the place of true delight and true safety. That God doesn't have a, a house just that we can kind of come and hang out in and be comfortable, get away and relax. Sure, it involves that, but he has given us a house or place where we can dwell, commune and build a relationship with us as his people. But I love that when David says, I want to be in God's presence, I love what, what this produces. And in the following verse, in verse 5, there, there's a couple key things I just want to highlight to us. In verse 5, he, he, says, uh, he goes on to say that he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. That he will, one, hide me. That it's in God's presence that David longed to be in times of trouble. Where others would desert and abandon him, God would be near, and this is what mattered most. That, that he would be concealed or that he would be covered um, in his tent. That it's in God's presence that David finds the best protection. To be concealed or covered under his tent of God is here. It's, again, it's making reference to the tabernacle. And, and if it's a little two cents worth of, of Old Testament history in the tabernacle, the place where God's presence was most manifest was the Holy of Holies. And, and the holy men of old and the high priest wouldn't dare just march in there. That they would have to go in there and literally they would tie a rope around just in case the, the, if there was a sin or if there was a, an impure motive. And the, the, the sheer holiness of God would strike any human being dead on the spot. 
And so by David saying that I'm covered in a, I, I, he conceals me under the cover of his tent, means I'm literally covered in the holy presence of God. And if holy men of old wouldn't dare enter in, what enemy would even stand a chance? So David is saying, I have this confidence that I have God's presence as my protection. But then he also says this, he will lift me. That is in God's presence that David finds perspective. Here, the unchanging, eternal, and infinitely powerful God is the solid ground upon which David is standing upon. This is where he is lifted from the tyranny of his present circumstances and is raised up to see things from God's point of view. That it's in times of trouble, in times of trouble, can we just be honest, how easy is it for us to become discouraged? It's so easy just to to know, I don't know what's happening next. I'm so uncertain about what the next step is. I feel discouraged. But all discouragement is is a temporary loss of perspective. So the question becomes, how can I regain my perspective? By pursuing God's presence. But I want to just, one more thing on this chord that is important for us to highlight. Is that the key to seeking or pursuing God's presence is that we have to recognize this, that God is the initiator, not us. I love it. If you look with me at verse 8, just a couple of verses later, it says this, there is this, uh, the Lord, it's the Lord speaking, and this is a communal call invitation. He says, seek my face, and no sooner as said than David responds. He says, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And one of my favorite authors, um, so much so that I named my dog after him, Tozer, so A.W. Tozer, kind of a dork like that, but uh, he said it this, he said it this way, He had it absolutely right and spot on. He said that before a person can seek God, God must first have sought the person. We pursue God because and only because he's first put an urge within us that spurs us on towards the pursuit. And we may all know that in Scripture, David is called a man after God's own heart, right? But the only reason why David is is a man after God's own heart is because God is a God who's after David's heart. And this is, this is what's so amazing about this is true for every single one of us in this room this morning. That God is pursuing you. That even when, before you woke up this morning, that God is coming after your heart. When you came to this church, this building and gathered this morning, that you are not here by accident. You are here for a purpose. You are here because God, he's pursuing you. He's pursuing you. He's pursuing you. He's pursuing even Green Bay Packer fans. He's pursuing even you. He's not pursuing you so much. I'm just kidding. I know them over there. I know the Clowers over there. So um, he's pursuing all of us. And this is, this is, this is the, the, the beautiful aspect, is that God's loving pursuit of us is not based upon our fluctuating and inconsistent behavior, but upon the solid rock of his unchanging character. That's what motivates the pursuit of, of God toward us. And then all really pursuing God and pursuing his presence means is that we are simply reflecting back his pursuit of us. We're responding, we're stopping, we're sitting, we're dwelling in and saying, God, you're coming after me. I'm just going to turn my face back to you because you're looking right at me. And so I want to just make this super practical in this application point. One of the ways that we can do this is it's a phrase that a mentor of mine taught me. um, And he said simply this, build prayer sidewalks along common footpaths in your life. Build prayer sidewalks along common footpaths in your life. What I mean by that is look at your life in all the different things that you do. Maybe the, the mundane things like getting up, showering, brushing your teeth, getting dressed, commuting to work. Um, I even put together recently that if I, if I were to pray while I brush my teeth, okay, so I, I would pray that's four minutes a day if I'm brushing in the morning and evening like I should. Um, what if I dedicated prayer to that? After a month, I'd pray for something for two hours. Um, I don't know if that math is exactly right, but I was a ministry major, not math. But, but if you think about that, those little moments and minutes 
can build a momentum in your life of prayer in pursuing God's presence. And I'll never forget, a couple, a couple months ago, the Lord showed me in a, in, a, in a one passing moment how much I'm not like him in this regard, but how much by his grace he's making me more like him. Um, you know, since we've had uh, young kids, and we've young kids in the home, it's, it's, sometimes it's really hard to, to get away and to have like time away in solitude. And it's a little more difficult to wake up early in the morning when you're already sleep deprived. But there was this one morning where I woke up early, um, and I thought, okay, I'm good, great, I get made my cup of coffee, I love my cup of coffee, I have a cup of hot coffee, I have my Bible open, and I'm loving this, this is wonderful, and i just literally about ready to start reading and diving in, and I hear my son wake up early, and he's like, dada, up, dada, 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 he starts freaking, I'm like, okay, I don't want to wake up my wife and my daughter, so I run upstairs, and, and, and at first, as I was walking up there, I'm like, oh, man, like, I, I want to have time with the Lord right now. And in that moment, the Lord whispered in my heart and says, Justin, I never feel disappointed when you speak my name, when you call to me in prayer. I was like, oh, okay, Lord, thank you. And he's like, go get your son. So as I was going, I opened the room, and he's saying, dad, 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 dad. And I know I'm biased, Father, but he was so cute. I'm like, oh, my heart starts melting, and I'm warming up. I pick him up, and I bring him down. I set him on my lap, and I have this exact Bible, um, and we have, uh, we have a children's Bible that, you know, we read to him regularly every, almost every day, and, and, but, you know, this is just the blank words on a text, nothing like from a toddler's perspective that's flattering here, right, that he wants to look at, but I just, I said, hey, I said, hey, Bennett, can I, can we just read together? He goes, okay, so we started reading, and I, I read, like, for 15 minutes, just scripture, you know, and for those of you who have toddlers, you know, like, that's, that's not normal, right? And, and it's not normal for me, by the way. I'm not painting this, like, nice picture. I have, a, I have several pages that are ripped in here that I've had to tape back together. But I had this moment where I was, here's my son just sitting in my lap. I went and I got him. And the Lord gave me this picture saying, Justin, this is just what it's like to pursue my presence. It's to call out to me. I come, I get you, I sit you on my lap, and we just get to hang out and be together. And in that moment, I felt such a sweeping sense of God's love, the tangible nature of his, of his, of his, of his presence. I just overcame my soul. And, and I love it. It all became, I don't know about you, maybe this morning you feel like you're sleeping spiritually. Maybe you feel like, gosh, I'm not, I'm not going after the Lord. I want you to know this. The Lord's not disappointed in you. All you have to do is to stand up and say, Dada, up. And he's going to come get you. He will lift you high upon a rock and your head will be lifted up above all of your enemies all around you. And then you can offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts and praise because your God loves you. He's your father. He's your daddy. He's your Abba and he wants to be with you more than you want to be with him. And this, as we dwell in God's presence and we get to know him better, this leads us to the second facet of being a person of one pursuit, which is this, to cherish his character. David says it this way, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And I love the way the Amplified Bible puts it. It says to behold and gaze upon the beauty or the sweet attractiveness and delightful loveliness of the Lord. And I love here the word to gaze, it means to perceive, to contemplate with pleasure, to have a vision of. And here's the beautiful thing. Um, God is beautiful. We, we write about beauty. We paint about beauty. We talk about beauty. It, be, it, be, it consumes our conversation. It consumes the frame of our mind. We love, we are attracted to beauty. God is beautiful. 
And as we dig a little bit deeper into this, I I love if you were just to simply read over Psalm 27, I want to invite you to do this on your own and maybe in your small groups this next week. Just simply read through this chapter and ask and answer the question, who is God? How is God made available? How is God's beauty made known to me, revealed to me? And we would see that God is light. He's salvation. He's strong. He's a refuge. He's gracious. He's a helper. He's faithful. He's a teacher. He's a deliverer. He's leader. And he is good. And I want to just look for a couple of moments at one of those sections in verses 1 and uh, 1 through 3. Uh, I, I love it this. David says this, The Lord is a light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is stronghold. Whom shall I be afraid? Come on, those of you who are looking at your Bibles, is that what it says? No. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That this idea that the Lord is not just a light, but he is my light. And there's a big difference between saying the Lord is a light and my light. It's the difference between having a knowledge uh, about God or having a knowledge of God. It's the difference between having a casual understanding of God and having a covenantal understanding of God. It's the difference between having a religious knowledge of God and a relational knowledge of God. That this God, the one who spoke stars into being, who created all things with the word of his power and sustains everything moment by moment, the one who dwells in unapproachable light and clothes himself with light as with a garment, we can say is my God. And in that moment of deepest darkness or doubt or fear, it's the God's light will pierce through that and help us again to see life from God's perspective. So the Lord is light. So the Lord is, is, is essentially saying the Lord is my sight. He says the Lord is my salvation. Um, this idea is that the Lord is the very one, the founder and the protector and the author of my life. And that he's also the stronghold of my life. That is, he's from the one that I get strength. And I hear saying, I love it, it says that we are called to gaze. And I think often, and in, in this point when this first confronted my life, is that most of my relationship chip in my, prayer, my life of prayer with God is that it was more of a glance, right? I, I mean, I would, I would be so focused on everything that's happening in my life, and every now and then I just kind of quick glance up to the Lord and then kind of get back going. And, and I know that in, in, in our culture, um, it's inappropriate to stare, right? So if I were just like kind of look at one of you right now, you're like, why are you looking at me? You're peering into my soul. Stop, 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 stop staring and stop staring. Okay, it's, it's, it's culturally inappropriate, but let me tell you this. In the kingdom of God, it's a spiritual necessity that we need to gaze upon the beauty of God, not glance. And so that's why um, when it comes to our, our life of prayer before God, in the midst of our pain and when life gets hard, um, here's what I want to, here's the application point, is to seek God's face before you seek his hand. Seek God's face before you seek his hand. So this idea is that, you know, have you ever heard the, the quote that the eyes are the window to the soul? Okay, and that, that's, you know, what does that look like? So we gaze at someone's face, right? But someone's face is their biography, right? So, I mean, we have, you know, even social media, right? It's, it's, it's Facebook, right? What's supposed to be on there? Someone's face. That's why I don't like it's, it's not shoulder book or knee book or foot book, right? Someone's face. It's their identity. It's who they are. So that idea is to go after the Lord first and foremost, to seek his face for who he is rather than just his hand for what he gives. Because to say it this way, that so often if we seek God's hand for what he gives, we may miss his face. We miss that relationship. But if we seek his face for who he is, he'll be glad to open his hand to us. And so as we pursue God's presence, 
We get to know him. We cherish his character. This leads to the last and the, and the final facet of becoming a people of one thing, which is this, to walk in his wisdom. David says it this way, to inquire in his temple. And here the word inquire means to inspect, to admire, to seek, to search out, to consider. And there's a lot of things that I could, we could tie this to. Uh, you know, verse 13, I love it, it says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Then notice that the belief precedes sight, that we can trust an unknown future to a known God. In my belief, I, I, my faith of God, I know better things. Uh, my better days are always ahead of me, not behind me, um, because of what God is doing. But here I want to connect this idea of walking in wisdom to waiting on the Lord. And this is the verse 14. And this idea of waiting for the Lord, be strong. Let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. That this idea of waiting means to bind together, perhaps by the twisting of strands as in making of a rope. And I remember, this is, this is again recent. See, the Lord just keeps weaving Psalm 27 in my life. I was waiting at a Toyota dealership, um, getting oil changed and or tire rotation, whatever else. And I just, I was sleeping spiritually. I just had not been going after the Lord. And you know, every night, like, I wonder what the verse of the day is, right? Like, I just need, like, an entry point. I opened up the app, and it was Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the, Lord. the Lord brought me back all, honestly, all of what I've shared with you already this morning. And as I was thinking and reflecting on this, I love that this word here, wait, it just caused me to do this kind of deep dive and just do a brief word study in my moments of waiting at a Toyota dealership of all places. But this word wait, shows up in Hebrew as an imperative here, which is in the, applies the realm of a command. And the word shows up twice. So it's wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. So it's the bookend of this verse. And, and this idea, the root word, um, it has this idea of being bound together by twisting. So it has this idea of, of giving, of collecting, expecting, and gathering together as one looks with patience, tarries, and waits upon the Lord. And it's almost as if that if we could posture ourselves close to the Lord by pursuing his presence, cherishing his character, we collect all of our scattered thoughts and we gather, uh, we're gathering and directing our attention and then with expectancy we wait as the Holy Spirit as a way of twisting my soul together with him. And this idea of waiting, this is, this is not, uh, uh, this is not just some, some, some passive just kind of waiting around and see what God do. It's, it's doing what we've already talked about. It's pursuing, it's going after the Lord. And so this is not a spirit, just a spiritual activity, it's a lifestyle. But we notice that we don't like to wait, right? Uh, and, and waiting is a difficult thing. And, and I love even in the life of David, just a brief side note again, you know, uh, when he was anointed king, uh, he was anointed king in 1 Samuel 16, okay, big deal, okay, and, and, and Saul, the kingdom was going to be torn from him. And then 1 Samuel 17, he defeats Goliath, and you're like, yeah, okay, momentum. You think 1 Samuel 18? okay. Let's get this thing on the road, right? He becomes king. No, he starts running. He enters into a 12 to 15 year season of waiting to become king. And here's the thing, that if God is making you wait, he's making you ready. Waiting is one of God's tools to cultivate intimacy with his people. So we can be strong and we can take courage. But sometimes the pathway to desiring God is through the desert. Sometimes the pathway into delighting in God is more, more is through difficulty. And sometimes what you are waiting for and what God does in your waiting is more important than what you're waiting for because God can do more in your waiting than you can and you're doing. If you are waiting right now, God is 
doing something huge. I know right now you're waiting. The prayer request has been with this land appraisal coming up soon. And where, where's the future and the direction? Where's God's church? Not a building. Where's God's church going to gather in a new land? You're waiting right now. But you can be strong and you can have courage because you know that while God is making you wait, he's making you ready for something. And so that when he does give it to you, you'll be able to steward it well and reproduce it for his glory and kingdom. That's why this, I love this, um, uh, this idea to surround ourselves with Christ-centered community. Just one final story and a couple comments before we pray, and before we gather together and worship again. Um, this next image up on the screen um, was, a, was a most recent season and time of difficulty for me and for my wife. Uh, eight days after uh, my daughter, uh, Violet, was born, um, my wife woke up with a really high fever and we brought, in, brought her into urgent care and she had had a little infection before that got some antibiotics, knocked it out, no problem, she was, when, after she had given birth to our son. So I thought, oh, this is kind of the same thing. I'm Mr. Positive. Like, everything's going to work out just fine. And she gets some blood work done, and to come back in to say, uh, we believe, uh, Maddie, that you're septic, and you're going to have to go straight to the hospital, and we're going to notify uh, their emergency response team, just in case. And I'm like, just in case of what? And, and again, I'm, I'm, it, we're tired. We're, sleep, we're eight days into child two, right? So we're like, we have not slept hardly any, anything. And, and we rushed off to the hospital, and we're looking through, okay, what's, what, what is being septic? What does it all entail? And I'm, probably many of you know, but if you don't, it's basically a systemic f- infection in your blood that if not treated right away, that it, it kills you. And I remember I had this moment as we got readmitted back into the hospital with our daughter, and my son was home with his grandparents, and I remember holding my little eight-year-old daughter and looking at this lifeless-looking lump of my wife on the hospital bed and saying, God, what, what are you doing here? What's taking, like, what am I supposed to do here? I felt so helpless. But I'll tell you in those moments, God found a way. He took Psalm 27 and he wove it back in. And I said, God, you're here. Help me just to sit in your presence. God, your light, your stronghold, your salvation, I don't have to fear. God, I can have confidence because if I know if I go after you, I know that good is ahead even if I have difficulty now and even if it gets worse than it does now, I know good is ahead and I can trust you. And then I know that I can have courage and that I can be strong as I wait for you. And praise God after um, a couple days in the hospital and after another two weeks of, of, of treatment and of antibiotics, the septic, uh, her becoming septic was, was done away with and there was healing there. Um, but it was a moment in our lives recently where we had to wait for the Lord and it was extremely difficult. And I have found that often over um, the years, how often people, when they face difficulties, the, Lord try, the enemy tries to isolate them. And sometimes maybe we have a lot of messes and we have a lot of difficulty in our life and we think we gotta kind of get our stuff together um, and before we can become to God's people. But I want to I tell you that in the moment, our family knew, but it, it actually was hard. I had to reach out and say to our pastor, to one of our elders that came and prayed over her, and, and to reach out to God's people that we can't wait alone. We're not called to wait alone. We're called to wait in community. And so know that if you're here this morning and you feel like your life is just a complete mess and you don't know where you're at, I want you to know you're in good company. Because let's just be honest, we're all a mess. But thank goodness that in God's uh, grace and providence, we're his mess. And he is faithful to see through to completion whatever he's begun in us. And so I want to encourage us, again, just to re, 
um, to, look, to look at this verse one last time, of verse four, that we can, um, I want us to consider what is one new thing God is inviting us to do this fall to make Jesus the one thing we pursue above all else. That we would ask and seek, that we would pursue his presence, that we would cherish his character, that we would walk in his wisdom. In other words, that we would be with God, that we would know God, and that we would be more like God. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I want to thank you in the name of Jesus that one of the best ways that we can wait upon you is to worship. And as Pastor Zach said as we began this morning, how good it is to be in your house since your house is not um, this building. Your house is not a new building that lies in the future of this local body, but your house is your people, your temple, that we are, we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And I pray that you would awaken within us a heart cry of passion to pursue you, Jesus, which means that we would surrender to your pursuit of us. And above all things, Lord, that we would gaze upon your beauty, that we would seek you in your temple, and that we would walk in your wisdom together as your people. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.